I'm Joseph. I'm Nick. And, and this, this is Fish, Fish Jelly. Jelly. Oh, that was better. Well, you know. Practice, practice makes perfect, perfect <laughs> but we didn't really practice. Um, how are you feeling? I'm good. How are you feeling? Okay. I'm a little hungry. Okay. Well, you know, let, let's zip right on through this then. You have a beverage. What is it? Uh, it is hard kombucha. Oh, how... Um... A Caucasian of you. Well, you bought so, it. <laughs> I did buy them. <laughs> well, this week has flown by. Mm -hmm. We've done a lot of things. Last night we went to a drive-in. Cinespia hosted the film Alien. Mm -hmm. So I bought a ticket. Singular, because you buy per car. Mm -hmm. Which felt a little pricey, but whatever. Um... Because I thought you might enjoy it. And I did. The last time I saw Alien was when? Uh, God. Um, we had a movie night for it in Minneapolis as a kind of goodbye thing. We had a double feature of that in Poetic Justice. That was 2011. Uh, okay. And then I know you've seen it <clears throat> again. Oh, because uh, Sigourney Weaver did a mm. Q&A at a double feature at uh, the Chinese. Uh, this would have been 2014-15. And you were tired, and we were with a friend, and you didn't want to stay. We only stayed through the Q&A. It was a double feature, yeah. and she gave a Q&A in, in, in between the two. Yeah. So we obviously stayed for that. You say I was tired and wanted to leave. Uh -huh. Well, because, you know, Aliens, and it might have been the director's cut, which is even longer. Uh, I, I don't remember now. It, but <clears throat> Yeah, but we left, and then we saw her in the parking lot of Hollywood and Highland, mm -hmm. like... With, like, assistants or a bodyguard entering. She might have had her husband with her. Or maybe that was her husband. There were multiple people with her getting into, like, a black SUV. Mm -hmm. So we got to see her then. Um, but a fantastic movie. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah. there's really no comparing. It makes me want to rewatch Aliens now. But, you know... Which the, I prefer. Uh, well, of course. The, the analogy is always Alien is a, a haunted house in space film and Aliens is a roller coaster. Um... <laughs> But, you know, I think watching Alien on the big screen uh, and kind of basking in how meticulous it is and the strong character work and uh, obviously state-of-the-art special effects, it's, you know, it's, it's something to behold. It's, it's something that demands to you, you be immersed in it. For sure. So you have a few things you want to talk about. The first is um, something... With the name Annette? Oh, yes. So, <clears throat> well, you know, uh, I think as of last week, um, Terry Fromeau had only divulged that Wes Anderson's French Dispatch and uh, Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta were the only for sure competition films at the 2021 Cannes Film Festival. That would be in the competition. Uh, but since then, I think right after that, uh, the festival uh, confirmed that the opening night film would be Annette, by Leos Carax, uh, his first film in nearly a decade since 2012's Holy Motors. It's a musical with uh, the, ba the band Sparks uh, made the music for, starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard as an opera singer. Um, it's been in development for years with a revolving cast. I think at one point Rihanna, at one point Rooney Mara, at one point uh, White Michelle Williams, I think were all uh, rumored to be the lead actress. Uh, so I'm very excited. I, you know, the opening night slot at a major film festival is usually never really a good sign. Uh, Cannes 
The last time Cannes had an opening night film that I liked, that I loved, actually, was Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom in 2012. Um, but more often than not, they're kind of throwaway films. But I, I think because of COVID, this is going to be uh, somewhat different. I, I, I'm very excited to see this film. Um, yeah. All right. What is hope? Oh, to shout out something that we did not review on Fish. No, I'm Show. asking, what is hope? A film. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Like, I was. I tried to make a, a joke, human emotion. Uh, it didn't work. Anyway, go ahead. What is hope? <laughs> um, you didn't watch it, uh, but I had to. I reviewed it for Ion Cinema, and uh, it was. It's a 2019 film that premiered at TIFF, uh, and was Norway's official uh, submission for Best International Film. Uh, it was shortlisted, I believe. I didn't get a nomination. Uh, Maria Sordal directed it. Uh, in 20 years of filmmaking, she's only made three films. She tends to take like a decade in between each film. Um, but really a fantastic performance from uh, Andrea Hobig, who's also an actress and singer. She won basically Norway's equivalent of the Oscar, the Amanda Awards for Best Actress. But um, definitely a tearjerker. tearjerker. It's one of those disease, cancer, subgenre films. Um, so you kind of know what you need to brace yourself for getting into it. But, you know, for all of those kinds of films I've seen of that ilk, like, I, I still came away really liking this actress's performance. Um, so just to shout out to that that we didn't highlight on our own channel. Why do I have Tribeca written down? Uh, because the Tribeca film... <laughs> Why? Uh, the, <laughs> the Tribeca Film Festival... Um, announced their 2021 program in, in its entirety and uh are you going to read it to us now no oh. uh, just like because you would never read a long list <laughs> you know go, there, go ahead one man's trash is another man's treasure you know my mom um, used to say that when she'd go yard sailing on the i know mine did too <laughs> <laughs> uh usually it's i'll just trash um but no, just a, a few items of interest from Tribeca, which of course was hampered last year by the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but just some things uh, I'm excited about. Actually, a lot of doc interesting documentary features, which aren't something I usually end up covering for Ion Cinema. But I just happened, Criterion um, released uh, the 2018 title Minding the Gap recently by Bing Liu, uh, which won the uh, top prize in the documentary competition Sundance that year, was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, he's got a new documentary called All These Songs. Uh, it's about gun violence. Uh, but uh, after watching Mind in the Gap, I'm actually very interested. Another documentary called The Kids by Eddie Martin uh, is about the actual uh, kids that inspired the, the notorious 1995 film by Larry Clark. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I'd, I'd definitely be interested in that. There's another documentary about uh, closeted uh, Nigerian men called The uh, Legend of the Underground, which, of course, I'm sure will be frustrating and miserable, but um, necessary. Uh, <clears throat> Bitchin', The Sound and Fury of Rick James, mm. I think will be fun. Um, there's one called Stockholm Syndrome about ASAP Rocky, uh, you know, of course, who was uh, detained there in Stockholm. Um, and Lady, uh, Lady Boss, the Jackie Collins story. Oh. Uh, they have three midnight films. One of them sounds really good called uh, Ultrasound with Tunde Adabampe and Vanessa Shaw. Um, <clears throat> and Adam Leon has another film. Um, I really liked his 2012 title, Give Me the Loot, which is, of course, a reference to... The Notorious B.I.G. Yes. song? Uh -huh. Oh, yay! Uh, but that is a... Uh, I, I really like that film, and I believe it played a can. Um, but his latest is called... Uh, 
Italian studies uh, and will be premiering at Tribeca. But just a shout out. Oh, and uh, Jim Cummings beta the beta test, which I'm kicking myself I missed uh, at this year's Berlin film festival but uh, perhaps I'll have another opportunity there. Jim Cummings of course directed Thunder Road and The Wolf of Snow Hollow which we did review. Okay. Why did you re-watch Clear and Present Danger? I've never seen Clear and Present Danger. Oh. Um, <clears throat> in anticipation of um, Tom Clancy's Without Remorse which we watched today but cannot say anything about because the embargo is still up. Uh, Until when? I don't know. Sometime next week. Oh. Um Yes, so Tom Clancy, my re do you remember the movie Can You Ever Forgive Me with Melissa McCarthy playing the author Lee Israel? Where, where she's, she's writing the fake. Forging the signatures, yes. which, uh, you know, Richard E. Grant and Melissa are fantastic in that. Um, but she's at the party of her uh, agents, played by Jane Curtin, and she gets all upset because there's a man who's supposed to be Tom Clancy. Uh, <laughs> telling all these people at the party that there's no such thing as writer's block. Um, uh, of course, uh, in the 1990s, uh, there were a ton of uh, adaptations of his works, The Hunt for Red October, of course, Patriot Games, I'd never seen Clear and Present Danger. Uh, Without Remorse was supposed to be uh, made with Keanu Reeves in the 1990s, but that was permanently shelved. Anyway, I'd, I'd never seen Clear and Present Danger, and I hated it. Uh, <laughs> but... I think it's interesting to note Willem Dafoe plays the same character that Michael B. Jordan is playing in this uh, this this actual adaptation. That's right. Yeah, uh, but there have been countless. Um, Jack Ryan is the Harrison Ford, Alec Baldwin character that's been resuscitated over and over again. Ben Affleck played that in Some of All Fears. Um, Chris Pine, I believe, in Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit. The <laughs> from 2014, which is terrible, that Kenneth Branagh directed. And there's something else in there. Uh, what's his name? John Krasinski was in the TV series about him. So oh, right. it, there's, a, there's a lot of Tom Clancy-isms. Uh, the only one I... Hunt for Red October is a really... I'd, I'd say is a good film, uh, but suffers from poor special effects. But Patriot Games, um, I, I have very... The Hunt for Red October has poor special effects? I thought so. Oh. In a, in a rewatch about five years ago. Um, yeah, I don't recall. I think Patriot Games holds up, though. Uh, and Ann Archer is actually utilized. Um, Philip Noyce directed... Uh, we watched his debut, Dead Calm, kind of recently... Uh, with Nicole Kidman and Billy Zane and Sam Neill. Anyway, uh, Clear and Present Danger, also directed by Philip Noyce, I thought was, oh, Ann Archer's completely, has nothing to do in it. And I was so irritated at, y you were in the background, um, because they're, they're in Columbia, and where one of Harrison Ford's uh, colleagues says to him, what's the food like here? And he says, it's like Mexico. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> Then the guy's like, his colleague says, I hate Mexican food, which... I don't trust anyone who doesn't like Mexican exactly, food. Exactly, exactly. Like, what is wrong with you? Um, but I, it's funny how, because I rewatched Unlawful Entry recently with Kurt Russell and Ray Liotta and Madeline Stowe, and it's funny how cuisine is used as a, a, a mark of elitism and a class marker, because there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's one moment in that film where, as a child, I, of course, this wouldn't register, but... Ray Liotta brings Kurt Russell to this like food Mexican food truck, <clears throat> and Kurt Russell's character refuses to eat it. <laughs> well, yeah, that is a device that's often used to show how people are kind of yeah 
it's yeah. it just interesting. But Had issues with race or yeah. I feel obligated to mention something I've watched outside of our YouTube video reviews, but mm -hmm. there really hasn't been much, except I tried watching season two of The Circle on Netflix. Yeah. Um, so I recall enjoying season one, but I think that's only because... Did we watch, or did I watch Too Hot to Handle before The Circle? No, we both watched Too Hot to Handle um, and then I think you watched The Circle after that. But you, I, I didn't watch all of that. I think I was riding the high of Too Hot to Handle because I really enjoyed that. And then people were talking about The Circle. And Love is Blind. And Love is Blind. So all of that together, I think, made me feel like it was quality enough television. But watching season two of The Circle has been difficult. I've had it on in the background and it's garbage. But... Uh... But I'm only like three episodes in, I've so only we'll see. barely seen that when I've been in the room when you've had it on, and I I do agree. I don't know if it's, you know, we were in a state of desperation last summer, uh, kind of being Perhaps. locked in with the. So it's like almost anything new felt like something. To I'm happen. glad Michelle Buteau has work, Same. so that's good. Yeah, of course. But yeah, these people are like, there's so many things about the show I don't like, and I think I've forgotten about it upon watching season two. The biggest thing I hate is I wish they would just show us like what is being the whole premise is like this platform they're on and like whether or not they're catfishing each other on this like social media platform. But then we have to watch these characters or people like talk to the platform, like speak to text. And I wish we could just sort of be immersed into the platform and read everything on our own. Right. But then I guess that would be too much like subtitles and people don't like that. So anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, asking people to read uh, trash TV, it won't happen. Um, another little topic, uh, well it's not little, the Oscars, the Academy Awards are tomorrow. We did a video talking about your thoughts and predictions on our YouTube channel, but I figure since it's tomorrow, do you have any thoughts? Do you want to sort of like give your predictions again on like the major categories? No. No? Uh, okay. I, I mean, I'm, I'm tired of thinking about all those films, even for the ones I like. Okay, so if um, you care about Nick's thoughts, then find it on YouTube on our Fish Jelly Film Reviews channel. There, there's always that, I forget what platform it's on, where somebody, where the anonymous Oscar voters talk about what they really think, and the consensus, of course, based on those, that outlet was that it's, it's been a mediocre year. But it's like... There are some really good films in there that are very deserving of Oscar nods and, of course, some things that sh shouldn't be Trial of Chicago 7. Uh, but uh, that's every year. The, the, whatever these voters get on the ballots, like, I mean, the fact that the blind side had a Best Picture <laughs> nomination on top of that Bullock win, um, no, no good. Uh, so I, I don't think anybody should... I'm tired of the Oscars. Um, okay. But, you know... I don't like, want you to feel triggered and, rehashing it right and, now. You know, <laughs> like Issa Rae said about, um, you know, she's uh, rooting for all the uh, black nominees. But what's remarkable is that we can go beyond that statement now because which black nominee in any particular category would you prefer? It's nice that there are some options this year. Um, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the outcome as I've said before, I, I really, out of the best actress, which I, I've always probably paid the, I'm hyper aware of, um, I really am rooting for Viola Davis uh, to win a second Oscar. Um, but we'll see. All right. So now you want to talk about a person named Monty Hellman. 
Yeah, so, uh, like, profiling, la you know, last year we brought up how Helen McRory died, but we really didn't talk about her, but... Last uh, week. Yeah. Oh, what did I, I thought you said last year. Oh, okay. I could be wrong. So, yeah, tell me who Monty Hellman is, and, and anyone listening. So you have no idea who Monty Hellman is? I mean, maybe if you tell me. Um, he is kind of a, a cult uh, auteur filmmaker. Um, he's best known for the 1971 film Tulane Blacktop, um, which I just watched uh, last night in preparation for this, um, starring Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys and... Um, Oh God! What's his? I'm forgetting his name. Uh, uh, the guy who used to date Daryl Hannah. Uh, oh, Quentin Tarantino. I don't know. <laughs> no. Um, anyway, it's it's considered one of the best uh, road trip films ever made, and uh, of course Warren Oates, um, James Taylor. That's what I'm trying to think of. James Taylor is the driver, and Dennis Wilson is the mechanic, uh, and they are basically drag racing from L.A. to D.C. against Warren Oates, and they have this young, hyper-sexualized teenage girl that they pick up for the ride that kind of volleys between them. Um, we had watched, as we said, Alien, and so I inadvertently had a Harry Dean Stanton double feature, because uh, Harry Dean Stanton is a hitchhiker that Warren Oates picks up that's uh, gay and keeps trying to hit on him throughout the night, which I found very interesting and kind of strangely touching uh, in their interactions. Um, because he totally puts him off but, and tries to kick him out but lets him stay. Uh, until he gets to uh, a safe place to drop him off. Um, Monty Hellman. Anyhow, he... So that's his uh, best-known film. Uh, he started out uh, as one of the directors that was tutored by the great producer Roger Corman. Uh, and so he produced, I, I think, for his first few features. Uh, but beyond Tulane Blacktop, which was not a hit, but has since become a, a huge cult hit, it's part of the Criterion Collection, um, he's best known for... Uh, a pair of 1966 acid westerns, The Shooting and um, Ride in the Whirlwind, both starring Jack Nicholson. Uh, Nicholson wrote Ride in the Whirlwind as well. Um, both uh, excellent films. Um, acid westerns uh, are... So these were 1966, but the term acid western wasn't uh, coined until 1971 by Pauline Kael uh, over the Jodorowsky film El Topo. And... Uh, I wanted to read this Jonathan Rosenbaum definition of the acid western, uh, which was surrounding his um, dissection of the Jim Jarmusch film Dead Man in 1996. But acid westerns basically conjure up a crazed version of auto-destructive... Uh, I can't even read my writing. <laughs> oh, you'll learn one day. <laughs> um, oh, auto-destructive wartime America at its most solipsistic... Um, hankering after its own lost origins, uh, which I found kind of interesting. Um, Monty Hellman, after Tulane Blacktop, uh, worked on a lot of projects. He edited a lot of projects, worked as um, second unit director on Robocop. Um, he executive produced, produced uh, Reservoir Dogs. Um, of course, made other films with Warren Oates and Harry Dean Stanton, like China Nine, Liberty 37, uh, Cockfighter, uh, which is kind of a pseudo uh, hybrid film. Uh, I haven't seen those last two, but plan on catching up. Uh, he, he died at the age of, I believe, 91 on uh, April 20th. Um, the same day that Derek Chauvin was convicted, we lost a, a great auteur. Uh, his last film was 2010's The Road to Nowhere, uh, which competed in Venice. Uh, Tarantino, I believe, was jury president that year, and Monty Hellman won um, a special career achievement, uh, I, I believe, award. Um, 
he's been he had been in development on a new project called Love or Die, which like his last film was also was to be produced by his daughter and reteaming him with Shannon Sossaman, um, which had supernatural elements that sounded fascinating. Fascinating, I think Saeed Ben Saeed had been on board to produce it at one point, and um, of course, you know, it didn't get made. And I think what seems like kind of shocking to hear that is when you hear somebody's working on a project and then they die, you know, it seems unexpected, but he was nine, he was elderly. Um, uh, after, anyway, after the seventies, he kind of had a lot of problems getting, uh, projects as a director off the ground. Um, he directed a film with Everett McGill called Iguana, which I remember, uh, being very excited to see when I finally did, I couldn't stand it, but Everett McGill, you know, is the werewolf and silver bullet or, um, the S&M prone parent in The People Under the Stairs, my favorite uh, Wes Craven film. Uh, it's worth a watch. I think it's a mess. He also did Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Better Watch Out, which uh, was uh, direct-to-video, which I've never seen and I'm very curious to. Um, anyway, he, he's just, if, if you haven't had the pleasure of watching a Monty Hellman movie, uh, I, I think Tulane Blacktop, The Shooting, and Riding the Whirlwind are requisite viewing. Um, Road to Nowhere has it, its moments. Uh, it's kind of a romantic neo-noir uh, starring Tig Runyon and Shannon Sossaman. Um, definitely worth a look. Um, I, I was really hoping that he would get another project uh, completed, but such is life. Mm. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, I mean, I don't know. So, the topic for today is RuPaul's Drag Race Season 13. Which, who chose that topic? I did. Oh, there you go. See? Uh, we've never talked about it on the YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. uh, for a few reasons. I don't... I mean, many people do recaps of every episode. And mm -hmm. they do a fine job with all the drama and all the outside stuff. That doesn't interest me. But that is a show that we've watched every episode of. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we are pretty invested in it. Um, what are your thoughts on RuPaul's Drag Race? Like, when you think about the show as a whole. Um, that uh, it is such a pleasure to see uh, queer people celebrated on screen, um, especially uh, uh, queer people of color. Uh, I, I think that when I think back to my own youth, I would have never expected to see anything like this on television, certainly not embraced. Um, I think of RuPaul and how kind of exciting it sees it is to see... Uh, her and all her uh, splendor on screen. Yeah, I think we started dating, what, a few months? Or like it, a year before the very first. I think just a few months, because it, it came out in 08, right? I believe so. Yeah, so we were newly minted. So we would go and watch the show at some of the local gay bars in Minneapolis. Because I did not have... Uh, cable television right and um ironically the winner of season one was we were watching the show in the bar that was her home bar so yeah the gay 90s. Zahara Benet, mm -hmm. her home bar was the gay 90s which is where we would watch the show so that was fun and i think just for this you know because i like drag and i love music and makeup and fun costumes mm -hmm. the show has served um served me well for a long time mm-hmm and I guess I can go on and on about all of the show, but just quickly talking about season 13 because the winner uh, was announced yesterday. Yes. The winner is Simone. Mm -hmm. But 
I thought it might be fun to go through your thoughts on each contestant. Sure. I think, I, you know, I also want to add, I think uh, RuPaul's Drag Race is an excellent example of the sacrifice that happens when um, a, cul uh, a, a peripheral culture is, uh, assimilates as well. What do you mean? I think the show has changed uh, from sometimes where it seemed like we're watching actual people's real emotions at one point to something that's highly, highly produced produced and manufactured yeah. especially and I think it was, it's been no more clear than ever before as we were watching this back to back with season two of uh, uh, UK Drag UK Race, Drag Race yeah. where the queens I think are a little less um, obsessed with uh, the following the social media following yep all right so the first queen to go home this season was Kamora Hall. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on Kamora? Beautiful. Um, Lovely gowns. Inert on stage, <laughs> but um, doesn't know how to, uh, what was it? Her thing is the tree where she couldn't, she didn't know how to enunciate the correct word. She showed up to a green screen performance, like fully padded and <laughs> like, girl, you're in green screen. They only see your head. Um, yeah, she's beautiful. But you know, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, her storyline was that she didn't, her boyfriend didn't like her doing drag, so she could only do it sort of like periodically and had to kind of do it in private. So she really cherished the time that she was in drag, so it took her a very long time to get ready. And I think she was more preoccupied with her aesthetic than being entertaining. Mm -hmm. But she was beautiful. She's beautiful. I think it kind of, I thought it was kind of touching to hear that. Because, you know, it's frustrating that somebody takes so long to do that. But really, it makes sense when she's not really allowed to do it. She's carved out this kind of... It, it's this escapist thing for her. It's a, it's a process. Well, I remember my roommate in college um, would make fun of me for taking so long to get ready. And he'd be like, you know, like, you still look terrible. Like, just awful things. Like, why do you take so long? And in my mind, I would think, like, I just enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. Like... I'm excited to go out, so I just want to like play music and burn a candle and, you know, slowly, slowly like play with the curls in my hair and brush my teeth for like 20 minutes mm -hmm. and, you know, so I, so she was feeling the fantasy, but that didn't work well well for a competition reality it's, show. It's the journey, not the destination. It is. The second person to go home was Joey J. Mm -hmm. He's a Phoenix queen. Mm -hmm. He was labeled trade of the season. Which, depending on who you are, means a lot of things. But I think the tip... Well, because... Oh, that's a good point. So, I think on the show, and many people refer to trade as, like, uh, like the best-looking person. But to me, trade means, like, someone you're hooking up with. Yeah. And then rough <laughs> trade is usually, like, a guy who's, like, like straight presenting... Or straight identifying, mm -hmm. so it's almost like you're doing something on the DL. Clandestine. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, somehow it's turned into, like, the hottest guy. So Joey J was considered the hottest guy. He was also the queen who didn't wear wigs. Mm -hmm. And when he did... Mm... Yeah, he shouldn't have. He didn't really know what he was doing. Um, I thought Joey J was cute. He is a very talented dancer. Mm -hmm. um, his tagline was, like, he's a gay-ass bitch, but didn't have much... Didn't he basic? And, like, filler queen, and mm -hmm. I, I thought he had more of a personality than I expected from the promo, but... Yeah. You know, I, I think he was pretty, like, one note. Yes. Um, and his aesthetic was off. Even for the reunion and the finale, he looked... 
a wreck, mm-hmm. I thought. Like, his hair, when it's not his natural hair, is not good. The next person to go home was Tamisha Iman. Who is, I think, both of our favorites. Who was my favorite. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> She's the oldest queen in this season. Um, 50. Mm-hmm. Well, she was like 49 when they filmed. But, um, and super talented. Mm-hmm. If you search videos of her from back in the day, she's a phenomenal dancer. She was making her own music before drag queens were putting out shitty singles. But she was hindered by a bout of colorectal cancer. Mm-hmm. So she had been cast on season 12, was diagnosed with like stage 3 colorectal cancer, had to undergo chemo, and then was invited back to season 13. So she had been on a fight to recover well enough to compete mm-hmm. and then something she didn't share with the audience until she was eliminated was that she also had an ostomy mm-hmm. yeah so she didn't make it clear she had a bag connected to it but she because she didn't say she had an ostomy bag but she just said she had an ostomy which means she has a hole yeah that protrudes that allows access from the outside of her body to the inside of her body so that's pretty traumatic and it was mm-hmm. obvious in her performance because she seemed a little stiff yeah that being said it's like she is Suffers no fools. Uh, no, and she is very much my personality. Like, <laughs> And she has a single called Arrogant, mm-hmm. which I've been playing on repeat during my workouts. Mm-hmm. There are a few funny lines. You've oh, been yeah. saying them. Mm-hmm. Like in the opening, Lala Ree says, she likes to fight. She likes to fight, yeah. Um, and I like when she's, uh, she says, you might hit a lot of things, but you won't hit me. Yes. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to her doing more she, things. How she came from the ashes to give you help. Yeah, yeah, I really liked her. <laughs> the next queen to go home was Lala Ree, who's another Atlanta queen. And during the promos, we were told that uh, Tanisha Iman is her drag mother. But they're kind of cold towards each other yeah. in the first episode, so we find out that um, really... Uh, Tamisha was the first person to put Lala in drag, and then that was it. Mm-hmm. After yeah. that, they really didn't connect. But anyway, Lala's a phenomenal performer. She talks about giving you the Lala re-experience, and it really is an experience. She's one of the she's someone who, like, if she performed at a local bar, I would pay to see her. Yeah, like I know I'd get a good show with good music. Yeah, kind of like Kennedy Davenport. Yes, so, yeah. on that level. Mm-hmm. Um. Cute, cute personality, says funny things. She has the, her big quote was when she says, Lord, bitch, and then like, I'm sorry, Lord, you know you're not a bitch. Um, but And one miscongeniality. One miscongeniality, but she struggled with comedy. Oh, she'll, she will always be known as having the worst outfit on Drag Race history. Oh my God, Nicole, what's her... Uh, Nicole Byer. But Nicole Byer's... <laughs> look on her face. This is why I wish we had a YouTube video because I would post all this. But <laughs> yeah, her, that like 99 cent store gift bag outfit. I bought those bags before. Uh, yeah, I've purchased those bags as well. <laughs> is atrocious. But that being said, I really like La La Ree. I'm sure she'll be back for All Stars. Well, and won that lip sync with that those bags. And, and won that lip sync with that raggedy ass outfit that fell apart. The next queen to go home was Elliot with two T's. He's a Vegas queen. Mm-hmm. I felt very bad for him. Because he shares uh, in, like, uh, one episode that he struggles with depression. That, well, that that made it worse, but because technically he's eliminated three times. Yes, because he was, yeah. I mean, we're, we don't have time to break down the entire thing, but the pork chop waiting room. Yeah, they pulled that stunt, which was we're all on, on episode one, all the queens had to lip sync, and half of them lost and were sent. Initially, they thought they were going to be sent home, but really they were brought back. Yeah. But then they said... In 
all you eliminated queens from episode one, you have to... So Elliot was part of that group. Then they say, okay, all you girls need to choose someone to go home for real, for real. Mm -hmm. They choose Elliot and Utica. Yep, the tie. And then it was a tie, so they're like, well, choose again. And then they choose Elliot, Elliot unanimously. <laughs> and then Elliot gets... Little do they know, he gets put with the, the winner's circle. And then they're all... They're mean towards Nasty him. To him. Yeah, bless like, his heart. And then he had to lip sync. Saying dumb things about how he's a spy. Like twice? He had to lip sync three times or twice. I don't remember. So he really went through a lot. Bless his heart. Um, I think Elliot is a good example of someone who has resources, like mm -hmm. has access to money and can buy costumes, but just has poor taste. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he's a phenomenal dancer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. The next queen to go home was Denali. Denali's that queen... From, like, Alaska, who's an ice skater and now, I think, is based in Chicago. In Chicago. Yeah. I did not care for Denali at all. Which, I was surprised to learn her eventual um, uh, dis what, uh, elimination was uh, uh, had, had a lot of uh, controversy over it because I thought... Why? I, I remember the after the episode where she was eliminated, there were news articles about how... People were, the fans were upset. And it's like, well, why? I don't even recall who she lip, who sent her home. Uh, at the top of my head, I can't either. And what was the song? Uh, I don't remember. You know, I, re I don't even care to look it up. I didn't, she had an attitude I did not care for. Her lip sync to 100% Pure Love, though. That's one of the best lip syncs ever. It is ever. really good, yeah. But, you know, when she first walked in and she said that um, she wins everything she goes after. Goes after, but it's like. But you didn't make it to the Olympics. You didn't... Because she names a couple things yeah. that she's done and she didn't obviously win. Yeah. And then it's like, but you haven't. And she's like, I'm at the Olympics of drag. I didn't yeah, like, I didn't care for her. I didn't like how she, entitled and angry she seemed over people's... The, Not being number one. Yeah, and it's like, well, I guess it just means you need to... Try harder. They're not feeling... Like her anything. chandelier look. She was so upset that that didn't get her in the top. And it's like... It was like it wasn't a bad look. They just weren't feeling it like right. everyone else. I don't know. It's kind of like how Rose really didn't start to pop till the end. I think you you know there's so many every season there's so many queens to get through yeah. before those who can remain long enough to um, <clears throat> really shine. The next queen to go home was Tina Burner, who's a New York queen. Which I was surprised that uh, <laughs> she was sent home. I didn't mind her. I think... Okay, this is what I really think about Tina Burner. I don't know how old she was. She said she's only 39. I am I feel like she's older than I am. No? Shade. She has to be in her 40s, for sure. I don't know. I mean, I, I just... I the, her, She's the one who dated Graham Norton. Her uh, color, chosen color pattern is really ugly. The and orange, yellow, and red. Yeah, ketchup and mustard was not cute. Um, and also, like, turn, I don't, I still don't know what turn and burn it means. And it's just like, just because something rhymes or you can. <laughs> this is how I feel about Tina Burner. Tina Burner seems out of date. Like, yeah. she just seems dated, delayed, stale, whatever. And she kind of has this thing that she's done. And it, it's worked for her in New York, wherever she performs mainly. But it just feels like, it feels like 20 years ago. Kind of like, um, and not to throw Peach's Christ under the bus, but but kind of like uh, because I believe Peach's Christ is very talented and has done all kinds of other things. But it's it's like she started off in that tertiary stage and never yeah. kind of uh, elevated. But not without talent or interest. It's just kind of limited. Even her song at the reunion was, who I think was produced by the same 
DJ as uh, Tamisha Amans. Oh. Uh, I wasn't feeling that. No, I, it's just... Because it feels delayed. Like, I mean, it just felt... It, it feels like, yeah, like 20 years ago. Well, it's it's trying too hard to to bolster this brand and this image when maybe you should just be having fun. Sure. Um, but that said, I think that lip sync... That, that costume was terrible, but uh, the lip sync... Because it was to uh, Utica. Humps. Yeah, her and Utica performed yeah. my Humps. I preferred her over Utica. I did think she did a better job, but I also think it was her time to go. Sure. She, she, no... was, she said she was the comedy queen. It's like, but you haven't been funny yet, so I don't know. <laughs> the next queen to leave was Utica Queen, who's Which, the one who's the Christian, the, the Seventh-day Adventist from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the one who... Her version of funny is to be mean and nasty, mm-hmm. which is really interesting for someone who, like, is very proud to say she's religious. She's very proud to say she's religious and very careful not to appropriate black culture to the extent of she was Bob Ross on um, Snatch Game, who was a white man with an afro and instead wore a crown of squirrels because she didn't want to appropriate black culture uh, as a white uh, she, I I appreciate her effort, but it was stupid. It was stupid she because might, it's like that man does have curly hair. And on the same episode, Tina Burner wore she she did a who's the gay Rich, Richard, Richard Simmons, Simmons, who also has the same type right, of hair. Right, like there are non-black people who have curly tight curly. Hair. And I'm happy that we revisited that on the Baps Challenge when she was paired with Simone. Yes, uh, where she had two black people telling her. <laughs> Like, girl, just do it. Like, just do Like, if you do with love. But see that... <clears throat> Utica, you know, I'm Minnesota-born. She reminds me of so many people that, that, that fake-ass Minnesota nice who are really kind of nasty because they're uncomfortable with themselves underneath. And I think she got called out by Rosé um, after the library yeah. uh, mini-challenge about, um, like, pra- like, practicing reads when it was kind of past the point of doing Like, it. making an effort to be mean. I... I think she seems fake. Um, I I think quirky and weird is great because I also feel that way in a lot of ways. I think she just tries too hard. I don't think she's without talent, but I was very happy to see her go home and wish she had gone home earlier. Wow. <laughs> I, when I think of her, I think she's an amazing like costume designer. Yes, of course. And her looks are phenomenal, and her lip syncs were really good, too. But I, but I think that she seems fake, mm-hmm. and I think to be so proud to tout your religious beliefs, but then your brand is also to be mean and nasty to, to, is a problem. The the jokes, the practice for that roast with Michelle Visage and um, L- uh, Lonnie Love. Yeah. Uh, when she calls Lonnie Love a whale, and it's like, how? And, okay, then, my... and, then, and then they tell you not to say that shit. And, you say it and anyway. then you say it again. It's like, you are a problem. My favorite line about Utica and the whale joke is Lady Bunny said that, you know, I just want to know why no one's addressing the fact that Nina West sat there and pretended she didn't speak whale. (laughs) Um, But I will say for Utica, I do appreciate, because I'm not an artist and I'm not a creative, but I can appreciate feeling like I am here to present myself and I'm not going to change what I do because you don't like it. Now, from the aspect of entering a reality competition television show, that's stupid. You should do what they tell you to do. But as an artist, I do admire her saying like, nope, this is the idea I have. This is how I'm going to execute it. Like, this is my vision. 
And she did that time and time again with poor results. Mm -hmm. But she made it pretty far being stubborn <laughs> and weird. And for that, I like it. But she does seem like a fake-ass bitch. She, she did. And, you know, I, we were talking about this earlier. There's, of course, an appreciation for at least making room for the conversation about appropriation. But what I wanted to hear then was, where do you see yourself in this? Where, like, just saying, like, oh, I don't want to seem like I'm appropriating it. But how are you in your space amongst black people? She sounds to me like somebody that uh, went to a liberal arts college where they teach you all of those things amongst other white people, but you don't know any black people or have any black friends. Sure. But, you know, that show doesn't have the time to, you know, suss all that out. Um, the next person to go home was Olivia Lux. Olivia Lux was my favorite from the beginning. She's so talented. She can dance, she can sing, she can play instruments, she can write. She's gorgeous. Her yes. hairlines are questionable she's at best, but she's stunning. Yes. Um, and, yes. But I think what really, um, because I thought she was going to be top four for sure, but I think what really messed her up is she has adopted this affect of being sort of like a cutesy baby. Yeah. And there's nothing more weird than seeing... I mean, especially, like, an adult man dressed as a woman doing, like, adult material, but having this, like, she cutesy was, baby attitude. She relied on it too many times. Yeah. And uh, I think she, you know, in Out of Drag, referred to herself as a polite diva. And it's like, well, you know, maybe I think... Then be a diva, then. I think hasn't learned how to not be passive-aggressive. Um, and, and is young. Uh, but yes, definitely beautiful, talented. Out of the reunion videos, obviously Tamisha Mons is my favorite. But out uh, hers doing the Mary ba Mary, Mary Blige cover yeah. uh, looks professionally produced, um, like looked like an actual music video. I'd see. Yeah. So the top four were Rose, Got Mick, Candy Muse, Simone. So they in the finale did that whole like spin the wheel and lip sync each other. Don't take your eyes off the wheel. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the first two to lip sync were Rosé and Candy Muse, and mm -hmm. they lip sync to Work by Britney Spears. Because Britney Spears was the artist. She uh, was the artist. And Candy Muse sent Rosé home. What do we think about Rosé? <sighs> that outfit, I know it was a Britney uh, homage, but... <laughs> She even her makeup seemed kind of off to me. Like she she looked like a corpse. Uh, okay. Not not to be cruel. I, I just think, and maybe it's because of that costuming uh, and the the ripple the reveal. I thought was underwhelming. Um, Rose, I think, is the most handsome male contestant. Agreed. But Rose has very strong features and yes. has a five o'clock shadow at noon, mm -hmm. so she has to color correct heavily. Yeah. So her makeup. Uh, looks, you know, when you color correct, your makeup ends up, if if not done correctly, or you're a person who's very fair, it ends up looking a little chalky, a little, like, neutral. But she didn't look like that through most of the season. Well, no, she didn't, but I, so, but, but I think her face, I mean, she's a very handsome man, but she's not a pretty lady. So I think that's that. I think her hair has been an issue. Her outfits have been an issue. Prior to the finale, she was a very, like, you know, sort of slender man mm -hmm. who always looked so bulky. And then for the finale, it looked like she had gained quite a few pounds. Maybe well, she like, had hurt her ankle. Right. It looks like she had gained maybe, like, at least 10 pounds. And she's a small person. Mm -hmm. So I think that didn't help. Um, yeah, her outfit was kind of crazy. And mm -hmm. then it was all, like, sort of like a neutral color. So mm -hmm. it had, like, a nude panel yeah. in the middle. That was weird. But I think... Um, Rosé is like 
So she's in a group, a, like a performance group with Jan from season 12? Was she in season 12? She's in season with J- Jada Essence Hall, right? Yeah. Uh, and Widow Von Du. Okay, yeah, yeah. So last season, Jan uh, is like her sister. So I think they're both very similar in that they're super talented. They can sing, dance, act very well. Like I could see them on Broadway. But while Jan had a grating personality that I found unlikable, well Rosé had no personality. She seemed like a robot. I, I th- again, I think it's because we are creating robotic machines that people who always have to say the same thing in the, at the right time. and uh, it, it, At the end, it just there's, no, there's nothing that pops, really. Okay. The, so the next uh, person to lip sync was, or the next pair was Simone and Got Mick, mm-hmm. and Simone sent Got Mick home to Britney Spears' Give Me More. Okay, what do you think about Got Mick? I like Got Mick's looks and makeup. Um, I like the uh, representation, of course, um, and I like that she was able to be so successful in, in the top four, but kind of like Rosé, there was a lot that I was kind of, I, I thought her personality was kind of being formed along the way. Um, I, I think she seemed very desperate to fit in. Um, and she's also, like, you know, very, we've talked about this at length ourselves. She's very privileged. She has access to a lot of things. Like, when you're talking about, you know, Paris is burning the the uh, the, the ball scene where there were white people. Um, like, I don't, what is upsetting I think overall about RuPaul's Drag Race is how race and privilege aren't really talked about at any serious length. And when they are, it's when a queen of color forces the issue, like the vixen, and then come across looking as, like a villain. Um, or, or like they're the ones that have the problem. And, and I, I wish that that had been more of the conversation about Gottmik. Um, but also, you know, very talented, very surprising, very funny. Uh, but anytime any of the queens say, like, oh, I've learned so much and I've grown so much, it's like like going through half a semester at college. Like, you haven't grown that. Like, you're flexing new muscles. That's great. Now go work on them. <laughs> well, speaking of privilege, I think Rosé also fits into that category because she talks yes. about how she has such a supportive family and never had any issues and moved here from Scotland and everything's just been perfect. So, yeah, like, her storyline is not that dynamic. It's just like, oh, you've had a great life, and you're super talented, so, like, you should just be handed this crown. I don't think that made for a good story that people could relate to necessarily. Again, I think that it's like Maslow's hierarchy of need. You are at the, the... the top, like, where is your allyship? Like, where's your interest and curiosity about others? Like, that's what I want to see from if, if you have that kind of privilege in your pocket. That's what I want to see. Like, how is that not natural? Right. Okay. So then at the end, Candy and Simone lip sync to Till the World Ends mm-hmm. by Britney Spears. Uh, which might be my favorite Britney song. It's up there for sure. Uh, okay. What do you think about Candy Muse? <laughs> I wish she had gone home a lot longer. Um, I don't know that I think she, especially over Olivia Lux, deserves to be in top four. I think she's entertaining, and I started to dislike her less after it went, but 
I, she could have gone after that fight with Tamisha Iman. Okay, so first of all, the way she spoke to Tamisha Iman is a problem for me because this is... I definitely feel like we need to respect our elders, and that's not shade to Tamisha Iman, because I think to me elder means like someone who's more experienced. Mm-hmm. Like Tamisha Iman is a known drag queen who has won many, 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 many titles. Mm-hmm. Like Just Google her, and she is older than Candy Muse, like significantly older. So I think the way she spoke to her was just so disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And to choose to do that, knowing that that will be on camera, available for everyone to see forever, forever. was yeah. a choice. Yeah. Was a choice. But I think the bigger issue with her for me is, you know, I don't like excuses, but sometimes they're um, valid in the sense that, like, sometimes people's personalities are formed from trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, Candy has a speech impediment. Candy has some interesting gaps in her teeth. Candy looks like, you know, like a cartoon character, like a bulldog or something. She's not, you know, she kind of has a funny looking person with a very interesting manner of speech. So I'm sure she got picked on a lot. Oh, yeah. And then she grew up in sort of a rough neighborhood, as she says. So it's like, okay, sure, that might form a personality that's a little rough around the edges. But that doesn't have to make you a bully. Mm-hmm. And I think she was a bully. She felt like any room she's in, she has to suck up all the air. And she thinks she can just talk to people however she wants to. And, and that I don't respect. But that being said, like... I have to commend her on her drag. She is a talented makeup artist. Some yes. of her looks were garbage. Yeah. She um, can dance. Yes. Um, I think she's a little limited in her dance, but she is a good performer. And you know, for all the all the comments about, and granted, I think I watch everything with subtitles. I didn't have a problem understanding her. Uh, I didn't think she was unintelligible. No. I do think it's funny that during the finale we see a video of Candy's mom. Uh, giving her encouraging words. And it's funny that her mom has less of an accent than she does, because usually it's the opposite. But, okay, we have to wrap this up. So Simone uh, beats Candy and wins the crown. Which is what I... I, She was my pick. I'm happy she won. I'm happy she won, and she was definitely my pick after Olivia started to fumble. Simone, to me to not make this too long, I think we were talking about this earlier. When I think about like RuPaul's next drag superstar, I think Simone is the first winner who actually, I think most closely mimics RuPaul. Yeah. She kind of emulates RuPaul for sure. But even in her skill set and her ability to have this very strong, appealing, uh, vivacious personality Mm -hmm. and to be able to, and be able to sort of dip into sort of her, like, urban country sensibility, but also be quite elegant, Mm -hmm. but still stay true to herself. I also really appreciated that, to me, she felt, and I'm trying to think think of the best way to say it, but, I like, I just really like that she just seemed like like a very proud black person Mm -hmm. who wore that, like, proudly. Yeah. Um... But in a way that didn't seem aggressive, which I also like. You know, someone like Bob the Drag Queen is aggressively black, which I also very much like. But I think Simone sent a message. Mm-hmm. You know, one of her outfits referenced... Um, remember their names. Remember their names. And, um, yeah, she just... she really say, t- their, say their names. Say their names. She, um, yeah, she mimics RuPaul, I think, the most. With mm-hmm. her... You know, RuPaul's not the best singer, 
Neither Simone, not the best dancer. Mm-hmm. Neither is Simone, but they can move, mm-hmm. and they have that manner of speak, and they have they 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 seem to be able to know when to punctuate something with style. Yeah. yeah. And then of course the looks. Simone's looks were phenomenal. Yeah. Like she just knows what looks good on her. That beautiful chocolate shiny skin with the baby oil, mm-hmm. like just looks so good. I'm very happy she won. We were also saying, oh, go ahead. Well, she's very, you know, I think what I also appreciate about her is the vulnerability seemed very real. Yes. Um, she did seem authentic. She seemed just, just authentic in that way that is, I'm, I'm just being the best I can be, uh, yeah. which is very appealing. And I, I think a lot of people have a hard time tapping into that. Um, yeah. Oh, what did I want to ask what you thought of, uh, the opening dance number with Rue. We usually don't see her in such... Well, Rue's very smart, and the team around her, they're they're very smart. They know, like, what what works, what doesn't, and giving us a little is a lot for RuPaul. So yeah. I think, you know, she doesn't often let us see her move in a certain way or show her legs in a certain way. So when she does, it has impact. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a treat. I think so, too. Like, But, she... you know, is. Is RuPaul Janet Jackson on stage? No. But, you know, she's 60, damn near. Pushing. I mean, I thought she looked good. I liked, I loved the um, sweaty shine on her decolletage. Oh, yeah, she looks like, amazing. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. To see RuPaul, like this nearly 60-year-old man in six-inch heat platform heels and like a cinched-in, like, bathing suit get dress... Mm-hmm. Like, do a little performance Mm -hmm. and look phenomenal is pretty astounding. And I think because there's really no one else doing that, it it makes it that much more special. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, because it's almost like watching Diana Ross. Yeah. When Diana Ross was 60 and performing, you know, it was such a treat to see because it's like, oh my gosh, this woman looks so good Mm -hmm. and she's up there with all this energy. So, yeah, I thought it was fun to see. It's not the finale we wanted, but... Tina Turner, too. Well, she oh, could of dance. course she Tina. could dance. Of course, Tina yeah. Turner, even Cher, like yeah. I mean, like, she does her point thing, but I mean, you don't go thinking you're going to see um, acrobatics. Well, I've well, actually, no, I've seen Cher perform several times, and it is a lot of acrobatics. It's just not her. It's not her. But yeah, she can still move, and she looks great, and it's just a treat. So I yes. think so. I don't think like everyone has to move like Sierra mm-hmm. at 22 when they're 60, but I. So, you know, that's not what I'm expecting. But RuPaul looks great. Anyway, so did you have another point about Simone? You wanna... No, just that I, I'm, I'm glad she... Oh, we were counting the previous winners from the U.S. Drag Race um, seasons, and the last five now have been black. Mm-hmm. So Simone, uh, Jada Essence Hall, mm-hmm. Evie Oddly... And then from All Stars, it would be Shea Coulee and then Monet Exchange, yeah. which was a tie. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, especially, you know, it's out. We all live in our own little bubbles, but every time you see kind of uh, somebody publicizing nasty comments they receive about uh, kind of like the trenchant racism in the fan base, uh, in RuPaul's, the, the fan base of the show is so disappointing to see. And, and I think that's why I want the show... Yes, that we have all these black winners, but then it's like the Oscars where at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who wins. The, the, the best picture might not be the most uh, impactful. So the show also needs to address those things uh, more vocally than it does, I think, or, or allow the queens to. 
Sure. But, you know, it's just, it's challenging when your core audience is, like, teenage white girls. You know, it's like... I feel the same way you do, but I also understand it's a business and, like, finding that balance. And I think um, the best thing the show can do is showcase queens of color and showcase them being themselves. And hopefully that will... That exposure will normalize these people to an audience that feels so comfortable criticizing queens of color for being themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about the vixen, like you mentioned, and how she was painted out to be, as she said, like an angry black woman. And it's like vixen was just calling out obvious Mm -hmm. like disparities and how she was treated. And everyone looked at her like she was evil. Mm -hmm. But Karen at Starbucks can throw a fucking scene and it's like, well, they should have known she wanted almond milk, not soy milk. Anyway, well, that's all I have to say about that. This is probably over an hour at this point. Hopefully not. But um, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to... Bien sûr. What did you say? Of course. Oh, what, in French? Mm-hmm. Oh, how intellectual indeed. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, yeah, don't forget to watch our videos on YouTube, Fish Jelly Film Reviews. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to say? <sighs> this is Ripley, last surviving member of the Nostromo. Signing oh. off. Toodaloo. <laughs>